a series of lessons uh, looking at the churches in the New Testament. It's a very interesting study when you go through and and you look at each individual church and um, you see the different cultures, you see how the church was started, you see the problems that the church had um, and the challenges that they faced. Uh, We see the persecutions that they endured and so forth. And there's a lot of lessons in this. And uh, I taught this uh, series uh, several years ago when I was down in Colorado and have been looking at it again and um, talked to pastor about it and uh, would like to uh, teach this lesson. And so as we begin a series looking at the churches of the New Testament, of course, we have to begin in, in Jerusalem. And I considered not looking at them in the order in which they come, but then um, I settled on just going ahead and sticking with looking at the first one and progressing because there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens when you look at the first one. You begin to see patterns. And so if we follow them in chronological order as they were started, um, then you begin to see patterns that show up that are, that are very important. But to begin, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we'll just read uh, 1 through 12, verse 15, and then we'll skip to the end of chapter 2 here just by way of introduction. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. We may touch on this a little bit later, but it's very important to note that the Lord Jesus, uh, through uh, the power of the Holy Ghost, it says, after he, through the Holy Ghost, gave commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, and this was after his resurrection, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now we know that he taught them throughout his ministry, but there was some very special teaching that took place. I won't get into it too much, but there were some very specific instructions uh, after his resurrection uh, and some things that he taught them uh, in that way. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall also come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned unto Jerusalem 
from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And then notice here in verse 15, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. And now let's skip down to verse 42 of chapter chapter 2. Or verse 41 of chapter 2. So this is of course Peter after he preached on the day of Pentecost and after the Holy Spirit had come and indeed they did receive power. Um, It says in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And then go down to verse 47 at the end of the verse. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so here we have the church in Jerusalem the first church, the first local church, which was assembled and functioning as a church in that way. Can we turn the mic down just a little bit? I'm getting blowback. <laughs> um, but uh, how did, what I want to look at here is how did the charter members conduct themselves in the beginning? Now, the church existed before the day of Pentecost. The Lord established this church during his earthly ministry. What we see here of the 120 is this is that this is the church. Um, this is the church did not make up, the church did was not composed of 1,000 believers scattered throughout all Israel. The church was not made up of everybody who had been baptized during Jesus' earthly ministry. The the church of Jerusalem did not consist of the woman of Samaria and all the people in that town who had been saved. It did not consist of the demon-possessed man who uh, Jesus cast demons out of, the man of the Gadarenes who Jesus told him, no, you can't come with me. Go back to your friends and your family. The church, the local church, the church of Jerusalem began with the 120. These are the original members. And it consists of... um, Uh, The 12 apostles, it mentions that it is the women and mentions a few names, but it was 120 people. That's who the church was. And uh, um, it says here that they, how did they conduct themselves, the charter members? They immediately obeyed the head of the church. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ had given them instructions and he had told them to wait until they received the promise of the Holy Ghost. He said in verse 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, when when we consider also the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, we always say, The Lord added to the number. He added to the 120. He added to the church in Jerusalem, 
such as should be saved. The, the people, the church in Jerusalem obeyed the Lord <clears throat> in waiting. And I want to notice their behavior um, in my next point. What they did as they waited, as they obeyed the Lord. <clears throat> Contrast their behavior here in Jerusalem with their behavior upon the crucifixion of the Lord. Mm. Weren't they scattered? Mm. Weren't they without hope? Weren't they sad? They were just as saved as they ever were, but they were without direction. Remember Peter? He said, even after he knew that the Lord had been raised, he said, I go back, he's going back to work. He said, I go fishing. He wasn't going fishing for recreational purposes. He had a family to support. It was a family business. And a lot of times we kind of laugh at Peter. It's like, yeah, you know, he said, I go fishing. And uh, he was going back to get about living his life. And he had mouths to feed. And, and he was going to go back to doing what he was doing. But um, remember, the Lord had told him, I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, and so after the Lord gathered those uh, disciples, the apostles back together, and he, as we see in the beginning of, of this chapter 1, he teaches them, he shows them, he gives commandments unto them, um, he speaks of things pertaining to the kingdom of God um, in those 40 days leading up to his ascension. And so now they have purpose. He's given them the great commission. He told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel and so forth. And so now they have their marching orders. They know, they know what they're supposed to do. Step one, go to Jerusalem and wait until you receive power. Well, what did they do? What, what did they do? Did they just sit around and wait, talk and speculate about what this might look like? Now, perhaps they did. Perhaps they said, you know, and as I was thinking about this, well, let's, before I get ahead of myself, um, before carrying out any action, this is an important point here, and it applies to every church, every church since the church in Jerusalem. What did they do while they waited? They prayed. It says, um, before they preached, before they taught, before they ever baptized, before they ever discipled anybody concerning any doctrine, there was 120. They were gathered together as a church. And it says in verse 14, these all, the 120, continued, notice this. This is going to, I'm going to bring this up again. Uh, it keeps coming up throughout the book of Acts. Continued with one accord. They were all on the same page. And they continued with the same purpose. And it says they continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jane, Jesus, and with his brethren. And then verse 15, it says, the number of the names, this is why I said charter members, you don't see this anywhere previous to this. You don't see it in any of the Gospels. The number of the names together in a church context until right here. And so um, it says the number of the names together were, and it's specific, 120. Prayer was a constant in the church in Jerusalem after this. But these people, they continued in prayer. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. This was one of the 
identifying marks of the church of Jerusalem is they were a praying church, a constantly praying church, and a church that prayed in one accord. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Can you imagine being in a situation like this where the entire church, at least it was several thousand people by this point, but those at least who these men went back to, it says they went back to their own company, and imagine praying in this context when they heard that they all, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did, and they're quoting scripture, <laughs> as a unit together in prayer, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined to do before or determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants. Notice what they pray for. Grant unto thy servants. It doesn't say protection. It says, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by thy by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. And so we see there that they prayed in one accord, and this was a continuing thing. Go over now to uh, Acts chapter 6. It was one of the primary concerns of the apostles was that they needed to not just have opportunity to preach and teach and do all these things, but right along with that was this need, this demand that we must have time to pray. It takes time to pray. You have to take time out of your schedule to get together. Think about it, to get together and to pray with one accord. They didn't say that they all prayed, to, they all prayed in their own house and they all just had this time of day where every day at 10 o'clock, they would pray, and every night at 6 o'clock they would pray, and this was a praying church. That's not the context that you see. You see that they prayed together quite a bit in one accord. Now, of course, they would have prayed um, individually and so forth, but um, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected, in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And then verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice the order there. To prayer, 
and to the ministry of the word. It doesn't just say that we may give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word. To prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so without going on in that, um, that uh, uh, dealing with that, we could, we could teach a whole lesson on, on this. I just want to point out that the church in Jerusalem, it began with prayer. That was the context in which the church in Jerusalem began. Before the Lord did anything, they prayed with one accord. And then in the midst of um, the Lord incredibly blessing, and that passage where there was 5,000 people that were saved in addition to the 3,000, they were praying in one accord. And now they need deacons, and they need all of this. And the apostles were concerned with, we need... We can't be distracted. We need more time to pray and to preach the word of God. And so this was, this was a praying church. And they prayed in the power of the Holy Ghost. And then, as I already mentioned, this unity continued as they grew in number in the following weeks and months. The term one accord pops up repeatedly in the first several chapters of the book of Acts. They were doing all of this in one accord. They were on the same page. And then let's look at the first order of business for this church. As they're waiting for the power of the Holy Ghost, there was a business meeting that took place. They needed to uh, uh, elect, select, whatever, however you want to term it. They needed to have another apostle. And uh, they selected, I I won't take time to go into it, but as we know, they selected an apostle, Matthias. The first thing that was important was that they recognized the need. And then they had a discerning of the qualifications. And then after they discerned the qualifications, they trusted the Lord to direct. And so there were two men that were qualified. And this is just a a point that I want to bring out. There was two men that were qualified according to the things that Peter listed off, um, but only one was needed. And so I just want to leave this with you, that just because a person is qualified does not necessarily mean it's his calling, right? You go through what the requirements are for a bishop, for example, for a pastor, uh, that he be the husband of one wife, that he rule his house correctly, that he... um, or like the deacons here, he's a man who's full of the Holy Ghost and, and he has all these things. Well, just because a man, check, there's a check, you can check off all these things doesn't necessarily mean that he's the man that the church, the church still needs to seek the direction of the Holy Spirit. As far, too many times we go, oh, well, he could be a deacon. I mean, he could be, a, he, could, he should be an assistant, he should be the youth pastor. I mean, he's great with kids and, and he's, he's this and this and this, but if the Lord hasn't laid it on his heart, if, if, uh, um, if it's not the Lord's will that that particular man, there was the person who was not selected was no less a child of God than Matthias. But it was the Lord's will that Matthias be selected. And so we see that the early church um, uh, sought the leadership of the Lord and, um, and they selected uh, an apostle and filled an office within the church. What was the primary purpose of this church? The church in Jerusalem. It was literally to fulfill the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission. 
Um, it was to preach the gospel. Note Peter's words as he preached in Acts 1, um, and, or in Acts 2, 38. Now the Lord had said over in uh, Matthew 28, uh, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel and disciple and, and so forth. Um, and uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And uh, Peter, uh, here on the day of Pentecost, he says unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so we see that he's preaching, Repent and be baptized. And they did. They repented, and then they baptized people. And then we notice in verse 42, and then it doesn't just stop there. And then it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What would have been the apostles' doctrine and fellowship? All the things that the Lord had commanded them in in the first four verses of Acts chapter 1. That's what the apostles took what Jesus told them. And... um, It says, until the day after which he was taken up, in verse 2, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles. Those commandments that he had given unto them, they then, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, began to carry out those commandments under the direction and leadership of the Holy Ghost. So that was the primary purpose of the church. The primary purpose of the church has not set changed. The primary purpose of the church of any local New Testament church should be to see souls saved. Those people are supposed to be baptized. Those people are supposed to be taught concerning the things that the Lord has commanded the apostles and the apostles recorded in the New Testament and so forth. And, and, and it goes on from there. And it should just continually repeat itself and repeat itself. Um, how was membership increased in the church in Jerusalem? <clears throat> this, is an interesting, this is an interesting thing for me. So we have 120 people. What determined that it should be the 120? I think when the Lord told them, there was pro- we don't have it recorded, but I'm sure that there was some instruction as to who was supposed to be, who exactly was supposed to be in Jerusalem waiting for the power of the Holy Ghost to come. Right? But there's 120 people there. And... Uh, um, and it says, and then the Lord added, as we already read in Acts one forty-seven. it says, the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Does that mean that there's no human, uh, I don't know the right word for it, there's just no human interaction, that there's no human responsibility, that there's no duties required of men, to add to the number of a church. If the Lord adds to the church, then there's nothing for us to do in that process, right? Because the Lord's the one that adds. Well, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to think about. Um, I want to look at what happened when the Lord added to that church. Um, When we say that the Lord added first, we can't save anybody. A person can't be added to the church until the Lord saves someone. So there is one thing that cannot be done by man, for sure, is 
the saving of a soul. Only God, through the... He uses men to preach the gospel. People are not saved without the preaching of the gospel. But the Lord does the work. He does the saving. But before a person becomes a member of a church, isn't there more that has to be done? There's more to someone being added to the church than just that, well, they're saved. The Lord saved that person. The Lord adds to the church. So there you go. Everyone who's saved is in the church. No. Um, Before a person can become a member of a local church, they have to be baptized. God has chosen a means and a process. God is doing all the work, but he uses men to carry out the work. He's chosen that. He hasn't chosen angels. He hasn't chosen any other means, but the means of using men to preach, to baptize, to disciple. He's chosen a means. And so, um, it does not happen by mysterious or mystical means that one becomes a part of the church. Someone says, consider this, someone says that they've been saved. Before that person is baptized, it's somebody's responsibility, somebody, to have a discussion with that person and determine whether or not that person is truly saved. John the Baptist had people coming to him wanting to be baptized, and he turned them away. They hadn't repented. They had never confessed that they were sinners. The Pharisees were self-righteous, and they didn't think that they needed to be saved, but they wanted John's baptism to add on just one more religious thing, and John said no. If a person comes, so somebody has to determine whether or not this person is actually a proper candidate for baptism. He can't be added to the church until he's baptized. Um... And a baptism is a prerequisite for being added to the church. Those given the authority to do so baptized those, baptized those who were saved in the book of Acts, in all the book of Acts. Those given the authority to do so baptized those who were saved. And they always baptized them the same day. That never changed throughout the book of Acts. Um. Here's my point to all this. Yes, the Lord adds to his church, but there's a process in which he's chosen to use men to facilitate and do a work. The Lord adds to his churches today in the same way. According to verse 41, go down to verse 41 of chapter 2, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What we see here is only those who were saved and baptized. Say, not just saved. See, there are churches today that will literally, evangelical churches, who will allow people to be members of their church without having been baptized. Well, that's, that's not remotely the scriptural right. model. Right. Okay? Um, this is just very elementary. And so, the Lord... Um, works and expects us to do our job in the same way in which they did it that that day. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Unto them who? Unto the 120. And so, um, conversely, there is no example of a person gladly receiving the word and being refused baptism in the word of God. 
Think about that. There is no such thing in the word of God as someone coming forward, confessing their sinner that they've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then being told for any reason, I don't pick a reason, well, we can't baptize you because of fill in the blank. There's no such thing that's completely 100% unscriptural to refuse a repentant sinner baptism. Methods of church service and preaching. Let's consider this in the church in Jerusalem. The methods of church service and preaching. They preached with boldness. Go over to Acts chapter 8. And it's, ama- it's an amazing thing when you consider how, um, how much work the apostles not just the, the Lord's disciples, but the apostles needed spiritually during his earthly ministry. Um, they waffled in their faith often. Um, Peter uh, denied Christ. They couldn't stay away. Think about how much I just mentioned that they prayed in the early church. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. When Jesus was with them, Jesus asked them in the garden, pray with me. And I'm going to go over here and they couldn't even stay awake while Jesus prayed. Mm-hmm. Right? And now the apostles are insistent on being continually given to prayer. We must be continually given to prayer and to preaching the word. And uh, dedicating ourselves to the word. Think of the change that took place. What is the, what is the key ingredient, if you will, to the change? What's the, what's the main factor? It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that they received on the day of Pentecost. Without the Holy Spirit, the church doesn't have power. The church has had power ever since the day of Pentecost. But if you today, if you were to remove the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if you were to remove the fullness of the Holy Ghost within a preacher on the Lord's day, if you were to extract the Holy Ghost from all the scriptural churches that exist today, the church would fall flat on its face and they would still, it's all hypothetical, but it's not that you wouldn't still have saved people, but the church would be nothing compared to what it was in the early church and what we've seen for the last 2,000 years, how the Lord has used people. It is absolutely essential. And so when we consider the methods of church service and preaching, this is all brand new. There's never been a church in the history of the world And their worship services are completely, there's never been anything like the preaching that is going on in the early church. It's never happened. And they did this brand new thing with boldness. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Then Peter, here's the main thing, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Uh, This is the lame man who had been healed. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw 
So we see in verse um, 8 that he being filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we come down here to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they knew that these guys are from Galilee. These guys are from Capernaum and around the Sea of Galilee and these fishermen, these are just laborers from all walks of life. And it says, when they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What an what a awesome compliment. Can that be said of the people of our church? When we're out and about, or when we're witnessing with people, is that people can note, he, he, he knows the Lord. He knows his Savior. He's been with Jesus. But this, uh, um, these people, they preached with boldness. And it's because they were full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, go over to uh, verse 29 in the same chapter. Notice how the chapter uh, concludes. 29-31 And now, Lord, this is as they're praying, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, I already read this, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. Notice, this did not happen prior to them praying. Praying preceded, and then the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled, once again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is synonymous then. And they spake the word of God with boldness. It is the being filled of the, with the Holy Ghost that is the key and essential thing <coughs> to being able to preach with boldness. Preaching with boldness doesn't mean that you're a hollerhead and that you yell and that you're more forceful than the other guy. You can be at a preacher's conference and one guy will preach and he can preach a very good sound message that will convict people of sin. And you get the next guy up and he has a different way of preaching and he's louder and more forceful. That, that, that's not what we're talking about here. boldness is being able to say what needs to be said in the face of fear or not in the face of fear, but in the, in the face of a confrontation in the face of the enemy um, and being able to say clearly exactly what it is that needs to be said without reservation, without hesitation Um, Remember, Jesus had told uh, the apostles that you will be taken. This is what it's talking about here. He told them, you will be taken before rulers and before governors and you this and this. And he says, think not what you will say in that day. Right? For the Holy Spirit, I'm paraphrasing probably horribly, but the Holy Spirit will show you what things you must say in that hour. Right? They were to rely on the Holy Ghost to direct them. Peter did not get up on the day of Pentecost with a set of notes like I have here today. He didn't do that when he was brought before rulers. Paul didn't break out his laptop and uh, get a message really dialed in before he went up to Mars Hill. They knew the scriptures. They knew uh, 
not before they got up, but when they got up to preach and they addressed, they, they were able to address the, the, the issue that was directly in front of them. The rulers bring them up and are accusing them of, you know, you're healing, you're doing this and that, and you're preaching these words. And so they addressed the situation on the spot and they dealed with it. They, and so they were able to do that with boldness. Too many times we want to have all our ducks in a row and we want to know exactly what we would say in what situation and so forth. And uh, um, sometimes we need to trust the Lord. You know what you know and you believe what you believe, right? You, you know the scriptures enough to know what you know. And if you're witnessing to lost people, no matter what the circumstances are in, you already know what you know. You don't need to prep and try to figure out, I'm going to be visiting with someone, I'm going to go out, you know, if it's one of you ladies and you're going out to lunch with someone that you know isn't saved, and, and okay, well, <clears throat> I know that she comes from a former, you know, background, and, and she's, she's mentioned a couple things in the past about this, and so you really, you get all your ducks in a row, and you, you do all your homework, and, and <clears throat> don't go into these situations considering how you're going to handle what you think might come up just go into the situation trust in the lord to direct the conversation you don't know where it will go but you do know what you believe and so oh that's how these people were able to to behave and so i've only got a couple minutes left oh this will carry over the church of jerusalem has uh, is is two evidently it's going to end up being a three lesson uh church but um, that we'll look at, but we notice also as far as their methods of church service and preaching, they preach with boldness, they were full of the Holy Ghost, and then it says in, that they did it in the temple and from house to house. Acts one forty six says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then in Acts chapter 5, it says, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then notice in verse 42 of chapter 5, and daily in the temple and in every house. So it wasn't just right after the day of Pentecost. We're a fair while removed. The church has gone from 3,000 to 10,000 um, or plus and there's been some waters gone under the bridge, so to speak, time-wise. And yet it says, and it still says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not. They didn't stop. It says they ceased not to right. teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You notice the daily emphasis? Mm -hmm. Daily. And then they cease not to teach and preach. And then there is this one accord that is repeated in the earlier chapters. They were giving of themselves and possessions for the furtherance of the gospel. They cared for the believers in need. It says, uh, I don't have the chapter here, I believe it's chapter 2, in verse 44, and, they, and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and good, and parted them to every man as every man had need. 
And so, actually, I've got time to wrap this up. All of this would not have been possible without the power of the Holy Ghost. The healing, the preaching, the wisdom in handling church affairs of thousands of people, full of the Holy Ghost is a statement that's repeated throughout the book of Acts. And he being full of the Holy Ghost, and then it follows on. It begins with the promise uh, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, but you shall receive power. This is the words of Jesus. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You notice in the, in the Great Commission, he tells them that this is what you're supposed to do. But in this one, he tells them you will receive power and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. There was no doubt in the Lord's mind as he was getting ready to ascend as to whether or not this was really going to happen. Think about that. He said, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord knew before the first church in Jerusalem existed that that church was going to become another church and become more churches and become more churches and that the church that he started and instituted during his earthly ministry, without a shadow of a doubt, <laughs> it was going to still be here when he comes back. It's a, it's a fact. This, it's going to happen. In Acts 2.4 it says, And they were all filled when the power came, when the Holy Ghost did come on the day of Pentecost. It says the room was filled with sound. And there was, as it were, flames of fire. The key thing is that they were all filled. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse four, chapter 4 and verse 8, we see this term again. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. And he went from there as he began to preach. Uh, as by way of conclusion, it does not matter how many programs the church has, how many teachers, how many preachers, how many outreaches they do in the community. It doesn't matter how detailed a statement of faith is and how perfectly precise it is doctrinally. If a church is not filled with people who are full of the Holy Ghost, it is a flat-out dead church, period. doesn't matter how right you are. If you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you're, we're floundering. And the Lord isn't going to bless a church and grow a church unless the Holy Ghost is working in the church. And how the Holy Ghost works in the church is through the indwelling of its believers. But there is a warning in the Word of God not to quench the Spirit. There is such a thing as indwelt believers not being full of the Holy Ghost. And so a church isn't going to move forward if the people are more concerned about the things of the world and the thoughts of the world and the activities of the world and those things dominate our lives. We're going to be rendered basically useless for God. It doesn't matter how much intellectually we want to have a great church and we want to see more of the Lord's churches established that are doctrinally sound and we're so burdened about the lack of churches. If we're not full of the Holy Spirit and walking with the Lord in that way, 
and relying on the Holy Spirit to carry out the work, nothing's going to happen. All right. So we'll have a couple more lessons on the church in Jerusalem and then move on.